So today we continue in our study in the book of Colossae. Do you like my little picture up there? Yes. <laughs> I, when I came across, what was that? Like a Hubble telescope, like you said it. <laughs> I reckon we all need to get some glasses like that. Isn't it beautiful? When I prepared for this, and always when we have to, when we put it on Facebook, we've got a big Facebook Facebook following. I put this little. I came across that, and I thought this is so depicting what we're going to talk about today, because we're going to talk today about seek those things which is which are above. That's the message today. And I reckon all of us need to have glasses like that who looks up into heaven. Isn't it right? The, look, people, people are looking for a lot of things in life these days. People are looking for peace. They're looking for good jobs to give them that peace. They're looking for UFOs as well. <laughs> I don't know what that's going to do to them. So they look for jobs. They look for relationships to give peace. And on earth, you know, we wake up in the morning and there's certain things we are looking. But our focus is here on earth. We look for things around us to make ourselves comfortable where we are. That's how we are. And in this church that we've been looking at for a while now, these are the words of the Apostle Paul to them. He gives them this advice. He says, Seek those things which are above. In the midst of where they were looking around, they had these philosophers coming in. And the philosopher says, look, don't look above, look around you. Let's think about it. Let's reason things out by looking what we've got. The Gnostics comes with their type of things, but everything is focused on the earth. The legalists come around and they say it's not... Who's in heaven and what is that? It is what you do, what you eat, what you wear. And all of the focus is upon the earth. And we've had two chapters there where Paul explained to us the doctrine. He actually took these legalists on. He warned them. He said, beware, look out for these things. But now in the next two chapters, he's actually going to give us practical application. And that's what I love about the Apostle Paul. All of his letters. He gives doctrine, then he goes over to practical application. And what is the lesson for you and for me? It's not to become just head knowledge with the Bible. And to quote scriptures after. We have to live by the word. We have to live by the word. I've seen so many times in my life people who can preach the word, but they can't live the word. You look at a person who preaches the word or who quotes the word or who's quickly with advice around the word, but you look at their life and you say there's a distinction between the two. They don't fit together. You, and, and the only question that I ask is, in church people know you as this loving person and this smiling person and you go around and you say, hey brother, I love you sister. And, and you know, when you sing songs, it's hallelujah. And everybody say, man, that's a devoted Christian, a devoted man and woman of God. But the question is, when you're at work, out of the eyesight of your brothers and sisters, how do they perceive you? Is it all of a sudden a different person? Will you be ashamed if, if one of these brothers and sisters in this church go to you and work with you 
And what will the other people say when you work with a brother or sister? And they go, you, you, you ought to come here every day because he's a different person when you're here. And that, on, that shouldn't be like that. And this is where Paul goes on about. He says, we need to seek things above, not things around us. People are fretting out these days to get possessions around them, to get status around them. And we are bound by this world, by the things that are propagated upon us. And there's so many voices that talk to our young people and to us. What is success? They will dress success up according to the world. And a lot of people aspire to reach those things. But you know what I say? We need to go to these people and give them a pair of glasses that this young girl is wearing. We need to say to them, just lift your eyes up. Not only that, sometimes you and I are bogged down, if I can use that term. We are bogged down by the problems around us. Things that happen around us demotivate us. It pulls us down. And we sit there and we start feeling sorry for ourselves. And you know what I say? And I believe if I've got Job standing here this morning and I say, Job, in the light of what we're going to talk today about, can you give this church some advice? You know what Job will say? You, everybody knows who Job is. You know what he will say? He went through difficult times. Things that you and I can't even dream of going through. Some of us would already chuck in the towel and give up. But this man whose own wife said, oh, come on, Job, get over with me, curse God and die. This man would say to this church this morning, my dear brothers and sisters, just lift your eyes up. Just lift up your eyes and seek the things from above. I believe in my heart that that would be the message of Job to you and me. That would, that's what he would say. Go and read his whole life story. Read it from chapter 1 to the end. Oh, there were those friends there who says, Oh, no, Job, look around you. Look at the things you are doing wrong. Look at this. Look at that. Look at the success of those. And you are not there. And so, and so, listen to me. We measure ourselves against people around us. And we always fall short. We always fall short. And it burns you out. Because I want to be like somebody else or I want to have what they have. It's because our focus is on the earth. And we're going to find in our study today that Paul says, seek those things which are above. So let's look into this now. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. He says, if then. You see the first words there? If then. You've got to go back and see what is before the if then. Well, I'll tell you what, we've done so many. How many months are we busy with Colossians? All of those months is the if then. But if you don't want to go back all of those months, just go back two chapters. Chapter 1 and chapter 2. Which he addresses the Gnostics, the philosophers. He addresses the legalists. But, he says these words there is, If then you were raised with Christ. You see that? If then you testify this morning. You stand up and you say, I am raised with Christ. What is he referring back to? He's referring in that particular place there back to Colossians chapter 2 verse 12. What did he say in Colossians chapter 2 verse 12? He said, buried with him in baptism. Buried with who? With Jesus Christ in baptism. 
in whom also you were raised through faith of the working of God, raising him from the dead. He's pointing specifically back to that passage. And you and I need to sit here today and you need to testify that. If somebody asks you as a child of God, what are you standing on? What is your hope of glory? You say, I am raised with Christ. I died with Him and I've risen with Him. In baptism. Now again, I said there's two parts of baptism. A literal one and a figurative one. The literal one is, is I absolutely believe where I'm standing here that when you get saved, you need to go to the water and you need to get baptized. The word baptized means you go under the water and you come out, out of the water. It's not sprinkling, by the way. That's the literal one. And what do you do by that? You identify with Christ through that baptism. Through that. The baptism doesn't save you. Christ saves you. When you get born again, He saves you. The baptism is a show outward what happened inward. And the, the figurative side of that is the identification with Christ. And this is where He goes on. That is, so, that is so heavy. It is so hefty that you can't continue further on. To be quite honest to you, I want to be not rude. I want to be polite to you this morning. But you can't read further on if you haven't understand that passage first. You have to understand that first before you can continue on. Listen to me. You can't live a practical life in Christ if you don't know Christ. How can you? How can you live a life according to Christ if you don't even know Him? Now, now this is the starting point. It's the ground zero here. You have to understand, dear friend, you have to be born again. Then this happens. You, you with me now? He says it right there. He says... He says, if then you were raised with Christ, what then, Paul? Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Be mindful of those things above, not things on the earth, for you died and your life has been hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. I don't know about you, but I feel so good when I read those words. Let them just sink in. Is the Bible still exciting you? Just think what He said there. Friend, it is much more, much more that this world can give you. Nobody can give you what Paul just said put down there. It amazes me that people don't want to teach the Bible anymore. This is the life source. Yes, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, he says, the word is like a two-edged sword. It's living. Go and read. Go and check it up. It says it's living. The Bible is alive. It comes alive in you and me. How wonderful is that? He says it right there. I, you know what? I can just read the word and don't have to preach. Honestly, the word of God with the Holy Spirit invigorates your life. He says they seek those things which are above. You see that? The Greek word there to seek means to seek in order to find out by thinking, meditating, reasoning, or to inquire into. That's what it means. Meditate on it. 
within that word lies the aspiration to seek Him. It's an aspiration to do that. Friend, if you haven't got the aspiration to seek Christ, forget about the Bible. It's an aspiration. It's a desire to seek Him. Have you still got the desire? Desire is like a flame that burns. And it keeps on burning. Do not put the flame out. It is, it is a passion to seek Him. Are you still passionate? He says there, seek those things by thinking of them, meditating, reasoning. About what? The things of heaven. The things above. Where do you find those things? First of all, in your Bible. Seek those things, he says like that. So what do I seek? He says those things which are above. In Philippians chapter 4 verse 8, he said the same thing. All of Paul's letters, you can, you can put them next to each other, they, they repeat one thing over and over again. Why would he repeat it? Because it's important. Why would he repeat it? Because it's going to build your faith. Remember what Romans says? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the preaching of the word. Why would he say it? To help your spiritual life. Why would Paul say it? Come on, I've asked it four times now. He would say it to enlighten you with the word of God. He says it there in Philippians 4 verse 8. He says, finally, comes down to that word and you've got to look at the words before that. He says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, what do you do on this? You meditate on this. The problem today is people meditate on the bad news. That sells. If you can walk up to somebody and say, Have you heard what happened? Man, it's bad. Everybody's ears flicker up. Everybody wants to know. But Paul says, flip the coin, flip it on its head. He says, no, think about all of these other things, things that are lovely. And, and let me tell you something, things that you meditate, listen very carefully to me now, things that you meditate upon will flow over your lips. Isn't it true? So listen to somebody's conversation and you will know what they meditate upon. Somebody's going to say, oh no, I'm, going to, I'm not going to say any word. Jeez, I better be careful when I'm in these bits. But this is not me, friends. This is, I'm just telling you what Paul's saying. Now if you are like me and you believe that this is the actual word of God, who believes that? Paul writes it to them. He says, the word of God is what? It is the the breath of God. It's inspired by God. And here he says it's so wonderful. He says we need to think about these things. What are lovely? Let me ask you the question. Things in heaven, are they, are they lovely? Absolutely. With God, everything is perfect. Are they pure? Think about those things. Think about that. It, it is for me a measurement of people what they think about. Things on the earth versus things in heaven. And here he writes it so beautifully for them. He says, 
they are praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learn and receive and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. <coughs> what will give you peace? What will give you peace? The things that you meditate upon which is in heaven. In heaven. People are crying out for peace. Oh, give us peace. Peace. I want peace. He's got something here for you. Look, it's not a five-point plan. It's not a book. It's not a bestseller. Do one, do step two, do step three. No. This is a lifestyle that you need to do. Now the question is, where do you inquire of these things? He says it there, seek those things which are above. Where do you inquire this? He answers it right next to that. He says, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. First of all, I want to say, we know today where Jesus Christ is. Is He in the grave? No, He sits right there. He's sitting at the right hand of God. What hand is the right hand? Is the hand of authority. Of authority. You want to check this out? Go and, go and read Psalm 10. Psalm 10 talks about how He's going to make His enemies a footstool to Him. And, and here they thought they, they nailed him to the cross and they had victory over Jesus Christ. Never forget about that. He was making a spectacle of them at the cross. Woo! He made a spectacle of them. And you know what God did? He made them a footstool. Do you know what a footstool is? That's where you put your feet. And let me add to this, your dirty feet. That's what he made out of them. So let me tell you, friend. What is, what is Lucifer? What is Satan? He ain't nothing. I will talk with respect about him because that's what Jude said. He said, I'm, I won't curse, even Lucifer, I won't curse him. I will talk because he's a dignitary in God's eyes. But what? He's a fallen angel. And you know what a fallen angel gets? He gets the place of a what? Of a footstool. Oh, there are the other angels. Oh, wonderful. They are not at the footstool. Where are they? They are at the mercy seat. Have you heard about the mercy seat? What a place to be. But let me tell you, friend, we are going to be at the mercy seat one day. Yes, we've already visited it. What? Yes, you have. You have visited the mercy seat when you came to Jesus Christ who died on your behalf and showed you mercy and grace. Have you heard about that? That is so wonderful. Where do we inquire of this? It's Christ sitting at the right hand. Then he says the second thing there. He says, seek things which is above. And by the way, you practically seek things which is above. It's not a spiritual thing. You practically, there's something you do. Look at all of these things that he say. You, you, you be mindful of the things which are with him. Look at these things. Things, things that is lonely, pure, and of good report. It's a practical thing that you do. You put an effort in to think about these things. You search for it. Diligently search for the things in the Word of God. He says the second thing there. He uses the word. It's as if he repeats himself. He says, seek those things which are about. And then he goes on to say, be mindful of those things about. Have you noticed that? Be mindful. I... Um, it's not the same word, by the way. Think about the things which is above. Uh, and then he says it in this way. Not on the things of the earth, for you died. You say, but I'm still sitting here. No, no. That, that sinful man, the old man died. Go to Romans chapter 6 if you want to read about that. For you died and your life has been hidden with Christ in God. I love that. 
Our life is hidden in Christ. Oh, take me to that rock which is higher than I. Who knows that song? Higher than I. Take me to that rock which is higher than I. And you know what he do? He hides me in the cleft of the rock. The rock is Jesus Christ. He says it there. He says, you are dead and your life has been hidden in Christ. And then he says it on. He says, when Christ our life is revealed, then you shall be revealed with him in glory we shall be revealed with him in glory you know <coughs> you know people sometimes say music is my life you, you've heard that yes. oh i can't live without music it's my life some people will say my job is my life other will say life is my life he says you know what paul says he says christ is my life you know how he says it at one stage he says for me to die or for me to live is gain because if i die i'll be i'll be with the lord is that is that how you live christ is my life this all of the other things is dimly vain but he is our lives and uh, uh you, it's in philippians chapter 1 verse 21 where he says for me to live is christ and for me to die is christ but let's understand this out of 1 john chapter 3 verse 2 by the way, I think soon, maybe before the end of the year, we should go through the, the letter of John, verse by verse. Have you ever read through the letters of John? They are beautiful. And by the way, if you read the Gospel of John, and you, you go to the bookshop, the Christian bookshop, and you say, can I please find an expository on the Gospel of John? Don't waste your money. Just use the letters of John, because the letters of John is the expository of the Gospel of John. It's so wonderful, man. The Bible is all you need. And, and let me hurry on. I, I better get on with the word. He says, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. He says, Beloved, I love it. Now we are children of God, and has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, who's He? Jesus Christ. We shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. We shall see Him as He is. We shall see Jesus just as they saw Him. There is no greater promise than Him. When He returns in, oh listen, power and glory. That's how He's going to return. You better believe it. When He returns in, Power and glory, we shall see Jesus just as He is. How wonderful. He says it right there, friends. We shall sing. Be mindful of these things. Why should you be mindful of it? Because of that fact that He says it right there. That we are hidden with Christ when He is revealed then you shall be revealed with Him in His glory. Can anybody stand up and explain it to me? Friend, there's things that you ain't seen yet and nobody can explain it to you, but you will see it when He returns. Are you looking forward to the return of Christ? <coughs> in power and in glory. I was going to sing it again, but you don't want to listen to my singing. Here we go. 
there's three ways that we can do this that he's saying here. Three ways. First of all, he says in verse 5, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, on account of which things sake the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience, among whom you also once walked when you lived in these. First thing he says, he says, put to death. You see that? Is that an action word? It is. He says you need to take an action here. And the action is not just any other action. This word here, uh, it, it is a word that is the things that are against God and part of this world. He says you need to put the things to death which is against God, operating in your life, okay? Operating in your life. Otherwise, I can arm this church. I can say, hey, let's become militant. We're going to put death everything which is against God. But this is what they wanted to blame Jesus Christ for. They said, he's a rebel. He's up against the Romans. No, he wasn't. No, no, he says, and, and I like the King James word here, he says, mortify, mortify the things that are against God and against this world. The verb here is nekukrasate, and it means to make to, to death, not to suppress it. This is a permanent thing. So here you are, you come to the cross, you repent of your sin, and Jesus saves you, God saves you. Now, you know the life that you've lived. And these things, which is part of that life, these are, by the way, all action things. It's things that you did, okay? He says, you can't just suppress them. And this is the problem a lot of people are doing these days. They suppress those things. They don't put them to death. Death is final. Have you noticed? If you lose somebody to death, what is it? It's final. Yes, I'm talking physical death. Yes, you're right. So once you go to the gravesite and you, and you bury the body or the, the corpse into the grave, that's final. It's finality. This is what he means. There's certain things in your life which you need to put to death. What are they? Well, he talks about fornication. It comes from the Greek word pornea. Pornea. You, you think where we get our word pornography from? Now, somebody once said to me, well, what, what pornography is not a sin. Oh, yes, it is. Well, the Bible doesn't talk anything about pornography. No, it doesn't. In English, but it does. In Greek, in which our Bible is written. And he says, listen, you, you who call yourself a child of God now, what do you need to do? Seek the things from above. Be mindful of that. But for you, in order to be successful in seeking the things above, you need to do something. What is that? You need to put to death fornication, pornea. You need to turn off that computer. You need to walk away from those, those por pornographic pictures and everything. You need to walk away from it. Let's preach it how it is. It amazes me that people get offended if you preach about these things. Now listen to it. He's not bringing them under a law because this is a sin. And he says it's got to be put to death. The other one is uncleanness. This is a physical and immoral. It's in a moral sense that he says it, but it's immora immor immorality that he's practicing. These are all sexual sins. 
and let me say this. The sexual world in the world is so dirty you can't touch it. And it's, it's grabbing everybody in. Male, female, old and young. It starts with the ages of eight years old. It is written in the curriculum of our schools these days called safe schools. And here he warns about that because it grabs the minds of people. And he says it right there. He says passions. That comes from the word pathos. But in this case he applies it in an immoral sense. Evil desires. And the word here is to desire for something which is forbidden. He says this is all physical things. And it's all of these. It's amazing when you think. And, and look there's in different parts of the Bible more lists. But here I find it very interesting. That Paul to the church in Colossa. The first thing that he says they need to put to death is sexual sins. And one need to wonder why. Well, you don't have to. Just study the Bible. Because what happened in those, in, in those cities? They are temples. And part of worshipping a God was a sexual affiliation with these temples. And this is what he says to them. Some of those people, remember a few weeks ago I said in that congregation would have been Jews, they would have been Romans, Greeks, they would have been all different parts who came to Christ. Some of them conducted in all of these things. Now he turns to them and he says, you've got to put it to death. You need to draw a line and have finality in that area. And then he says covetousness, which is greed. In Ephesians chapter 1, let me, let me show you this. He says there, on account of which things say the wrath of God is coming on the sons of obedience. <coughs> on the account of what? On the account of these things. Now friends, I know. I know we're living in a world now where through the lefty side of politics, these things are acceptable. And I know that you can't talk about it anymore because they'll say it's hate speech. I know this. And I know they think they know what is good for us. And I know they think that they are right. But let me say it emphatically here this morning. They are wrong. And let me say it even more drastically. There's a wrath coming upon them. And it's not me saying it. So ridicule me. I'm just a messenger. You know, ridicule me. Beat me up. That's fine. But you can't change the words. It's written right there. And then he goes on to say that for the sake that the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. Have you noticed that? There's only two kinds of sons in the world. The sons of God and the sons of disobedience. There's no gray areas here. You're either a son of God or you're a son of disobedience. Let me show you. And again, I have to take you to the Bible. It's not on the board. First of all, Ephesians chapter 2. Let me read this for you and then we'll go to the Bible. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. He says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, you walked, it's a physical act, according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So what works in the sons of disobedience? The world and the devil. This, he says it right there. There's three things. The sons are, it's the, the course of the world and the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? It's Lucifer. 
So these two things are evident in whose lives? The sons of disobedience. But wait a minute. We can all blame the world and we can all blame Satan. But there's a third part here which a lot of people miss. Let's read on. He says in verse 3. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in what? In the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. Fulfilling the desires of what? Of the flesh and of the mind. And whereby nature the children of wrath just as others. Now let me ask you dear friends. What do we find in this passage right here? Isn't that the lust of the flesh? This is the things he addresses. He says, look, you, I know there's all of these things coming in in the spiritual sense, the philosophies and everything, but there's a bigger pressing issue here. The same issue that we had in Corinth, the same issue we had in Philippi, the same issue we had in Ephesus, the same issue in every, and the same issue that we have in Melbourne, Australia. And what is that? The lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. You won't get preaching like that, friend, because this empties churches. People run for the door when she touches on that. Who are you to tell me that I'm lost and I'm sinful? Well, I'm just preaching the word. It says it right there. He says the sons of disobedience amongst whom also you were. You were also sons of disobedience, you people in Ephesus. But what? Guess what? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. But you were being saved by grace through faith. That not of yourself, but of God. You are saved. He says it right there. It is interesting, dear friends, that if we look at these things, and like I say, there's only two kinds of, of people, of children. Let's go to Romans chapter 8 quickly. It's not on the board. I just want to read it out of the Bible. Romans chapter 8, where uh, Paul again writes in Rome to these people. Romans chapter 8. Let me read it to you. If you haven't got a Bible, just listen. Verse 12. He says, therefore, now, again, whenever you find the word therefore, you need to read before that, okay? <clears throat> and in this, in this chapter 8, Paul talks to them about the indwelling sin and how you need to get freedom from the indwelling sin. Let me ask you, how do you get that? At the cross, through Jesus Christ. There's only one way, but we're going to see it now in a minute. He's going to say it to us. He says there in Romans chapter 8, verse 12, therefore, brethren... We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now everybody look at me. He says, if you put to death what? The deeds of the flesh, you will live. Who needs to put them to death? You. Oh, but wait a minute, I'm being saved. I just sit back now and God does everything. Yes, He is there with the Holy Spirit to do what? To strengthen you, to help you, to convict you. But you need to put to death and you will live. Now listen to this. Verse 14. <coughs> For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are what? Somebody read it out loud. Sons of God. There you've got it. Remember what I said, you're either a son of disobedience or a son of God. Oh, but there's this teaching out there, the dominions, they say, oh, you know what, we are, the sons of God will still be revealed. They don't have to be revealed, it's already been revealed. Here it is. 
If you are sitting here this morning and you tell me that you are born again and Jesus Christ saved you and your sins are you forgetting, what are, what are you? You're not becoming a son. You're either not a son or you're a son. I want to tell you on the authority of the Word of God, you're a son of God. You can either be a son of disobedience or a son of God. So I don't, I don't get it how some people preach this. Because there's an intermediate state with, which they fabricated out of the, the figment of the imaginations which they now preach as the truth of God which there is not. There's, there's a clear line. It's either black or white. <laughs> it's, it's either yellow or blue. Call it whatever you want to call it, but I call it what the word calls it, sons of disobedience and sons of God. This needs to be heard. He says, it, let me read it again. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again. The bondage here he talks about is, is sin. To fear. Fear what? To fear death. But you received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children, then heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified with Him. Uh, just go a few pages earlier. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In fact, go a little bit further on. Just flick over. It's a few pages in my Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. <coughs> Look at verse 7. I'm going to just read that quickly because I want to get down to verse 11. If you are there, say Amen. <laughs> nobody said Amen, so nobody's there. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 7. Now therefore, it is already, he says now, again, that's one of those words you need to read before the word now. Why did he say now? He laid down a foundation and then he says now. And I'm going to ask you to, uh, to go and read about it. What he was talking about that is for brothers in the church who were suing each other about something. He says you shouldn't go to, to the authorities to sue a brother in, in court. We should deal with these things in church, he said. Okay? But I want to pick this up now. He says now, therefore, it is already an, an utter failure for you that you go to the law against one another. You see, there it is. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Oh man, that's a problem. Oh, for the sake of time, I won't say much about it, but some people can't accept it when they are wrong. Is that right? Here, Paul says it, it was a problem back in his day as well to that church there in Corinth. Look at this. Now, I love it. He says it right there. He says, why do you not rather accept wrong? Question mark. Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? What? Okay, different. Let me continue on. Now you yourself do wrong and cheat. And you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you not deceive Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, and sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor exorcists will inherit the kingdom of God. Again, <coughs> it comes down on sexual sins. Have you noticed? But this is the verse. Listen to this now. Because the question is, how do you become a son of God? Here he answers. He's, 
and which were some of you. What were you? Sons of disobedience. But you were washed. You see that? What washes you? The word of God. But you were sanctified. What does that mean? He sets you apart. What sets you apart? John chapter 17, 17. Sanctify them with your truth. Your word is the truth. The Bible sets them apart. But you were justified in the name of the Lord. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So two things. Sons of disobedience and sons of God. Who are you? If you say you're a son of God, you need to get some glasses like that little girl and start looking into heaven. <coughs> our glasses is pale when <laughs> we need bigger ones. So let me continue on. The first thing he said, put to death. Then he says, secondly, put off. You see that? Put off all these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, shameful speech or out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, having put off the old man with his deeds. The word put off here means to, it's the removing of traces of worldliness. That's what it means. Uh, these are sins committed by what we say. First of all, he dealt with the action, sexual sins, and now he comes by the things we say, this little tongue of ours. The cause of so many problems, the cause of wars, he warns against them. In James chapter 1, verse 26, he says, if anyone among you thinks he's religious, oh, there's lots, who, isn't it? Oh, I'm religious, brother. I don't know what it is. Maybe the religious brother. Maybe the accent or a religious brother. <laughs> he says, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. Remember, I said it before. You can come in here and you can be religious. Is how you are. But how are you outside of this? I think it was Samuel Lamb. I, I, I think it was him. He was a missionary, but it could be somebody else's book I've read as well. He said it one day. He was caught and he was thrown in jail. And he started preaching the gospel to the people in jealousy. He was like Paul. He says, Lord, thank you. What a blessing. These guys can't run away. These walls blocking them. I'm sitting in jail. I've got time on my hands. I'm, I'm going to tell them about Christ. And the same guy comes around. I, I, I had to listen to him. And then the guards came around and said, if you open up your mouth again and you preach Christ, we kill you on the spot. And he said, but I can't. You know, and he, he quoted passages in Acts. He says, but I cannot, but preach Christ. And, and he said, he said, he prayed to God, he says, Lord, help me. How am I going to do this? Because I can't keep my mouth shut. And he said, it is as if God said to him, preach the gospel. And if you have to use your words, think about that. Think it. Now, I'm not preaching it as gospel this morning, but I, there's a point there that he makes. Your life needs to preach Christ. And your words needs to fill it in. Your, your words is the spice. Your words is the herb that gives spice to your life. Not the other way around. If you cook, you put the meat in there, you put your, 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 what you're going to cook in there, and then you put the salt and the spices in to give it flavor. You don't start off and you dump in, here's all the salt and all the stuff, and then you put the stuff in. No. And this is, uh, this is what it is all about here. The thing is, we can talk about anger. I think everybody knows what anger is and wrath. But they are bad. But malice is worse. Why? 
Because malice in that list is more rooted and deliberate. If somebody's malice, they are deliberate in what they are doing. Anger is just, you know, you get an anger. You know, somebody get that. A burst of anger. And then they're okay. And you can address that. And, and the same with wrath. You know, they, they, but malice is a planned action of destroying the other person with your actions. This is here one of the things he warns against. Blasphemy is interesting as well. Because it's a slanderer. There's the, one of the translations says slanderer. It means it's speaking bad of men... <coughs> Or raising bad reports of them, and thus damage their good name. This this ought not to be with Christians, he says. Shameful speech out of your mouth. This is somebody who's got a foul mouth. The center of of, of attraction when the, the, the dirty jokes starts coming out. That's it. The, but I I move on. First of all, he says he says put to death these things. Secondly, put off. All of these other things. But if you do that, you need to do something else. You put on. You see that? It says, and having put on the new, having been renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who's created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, <coughs> circumcision or uncircumcision, foreigner, Scythian, slave or freeman, but Christ, all things in all. Now, the question is, is what does this new look like? This new he's talking on. He says, put on the new. Well, he answers it further on in verse 12. He says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, uh, tender feelings and mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving yourselves. If anyone has a complaint against any, as Christ forgive you also, you should do. He, he gives them two pictures, have you noticed? The picture of a son of disobedience, with all of those sexual sins, with all of those malice, wrath, and all of those things. But then he says, put on new. The new is what? It's all of these things. And man, there's so beautiful things there. Uh, uh, meekness. Meekness is power under control. Power under control. Um, there's a few babies around. You know, last night we were at a place where there was a few babies. Now, I'm, I'm a 120 kilogram man. I know, and I, I hide very well under a suit. But, you know, I'm, I know I've got natural strength. But I picked up a baby last night, a young boy, and I, I hold him in my hands. And you see me do it sometimes here with JC. And you know what I do? I've got all the power to crush that little boy, don't I? I can press so hard, I can press out the, the wind out of his lungs. But why don't I do it? Because I'm meek. I, I control my power. This is how a Christian ought to be. Control it. Sometimes I see Christian Bible bashing at us with the Word of God. It's powerful. As much as it can help them, it can also hurt them. It needs to be power under control. Each one of the qualities mentioned in this passage here express themselves in relationships. Have you noticed? All of these things. If you have... Mercy and kindness and humbleness and long-suffering. You will make friends. People will come to you. Oh, how can I make friends? I can't make friends. Well, look at it. I say it often to people at work. I say it's an attitude. What attitude have you got? Attitude is the most. If I look for somebody new to come and work in my team, first thing I'm looking at, I, I look, papers is good, but I look for an attitude. A good attitude. 
And here it is the same. Now the question is, what do we do with this? He says, put to death those things, put off those things, put on the new. And we know what is the new now. That is the measurement. Now what do we do with these new things that we have? He says it in verse 14. And above all things, <coughs> put on love. Put on love, which is the bond of perfectness. Love wraps himself around everything. Isn't it right? He wraps himself around it. If you have got the love of God, look, you don't have to have effort to put these things on. They will be in you. The love of God. The love of God. He says, put on love. How do we do this? How do we put on love? He continues on there. It's a practical lesson this morning. The Bible, I, I'm just reading through it because the Bible it teaches you by itself. He says in verse 15, and let. Now he's going to come to these words, let. And that's where we pick, pick them up. He says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. How do you put on love? How do you operate in meekness? Get into the peace of God. Where do you get into the peace of God? At the cross. Make peace with the peacemaker. And then let the peace of God come and rule in your hearts. To which you also are called in one body. And be thankful. Oh, I know a lot of Christians who are not thankful. You know, one of the most favorite things for me is to ask people, How are you doing? And then I listen. And you know what people tend to say? Andre, you heard me say it before because I know you're going to say, Oh, brother, you say it again. You know what people say? Not too bad. Is that right? You know what I ask straight away back? What's bad about it? You should try this. Honestly, go and try it. I go up at the supermarket. We went to uh, Woolworths last night. There was a girl there. And I go, How are you doing? She so goes, Oh, not too bad. I go, So what's bad about it? Uh, nothing. I said, well, then it's good. Isn't it? Yeah, now I think about it, it's good. <laughs> what am I trying to say? Look, friends, we are so conditioned by the world that everything is bad. And that becomes our basis now, our foundation. That's why when you ask somebody, they say, not too bad. So it's bad, but not too bad. It's a little bit higher than bad. But I say my life is not dictated by the world. My life is dictated by God. And in Him it's good. And I'm thankful. And I'm grateful. Praise the Lord. So somebody asks me, how are you doing? I go, good. Because that's the basis now. I don't go, not too good. Have you ever heard somebody say that? They go, not too bad. But they won't say, not too good. So I say, it's good. Now, you can come to me like somebody did one day and they say, but then you're a liar. But what if it is bad? Then I go, it's still good. It's still good because it could be worse. Because my premise is good. Here, here he says it. He says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, which you are also called in one body, and be thankful. Let me tell you, if, <coughs> excuse me, if peace <coughs> rules in your heart, you will be thankful. You will be thankful. Then he goes on to say, let the word of Christ. Ah, there he goes. Let the word of Christ. Where is it? Let the word of Christ. It's a dusty old page as somebody said once to me. I say, man, that is why you've got no peace in your heart. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, 
teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and in hymns and, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. To the Lord. That's so wonderful. We come in here and we sing songs. We sing happy songs. We sing great songs. And you know what we sing about? We sing about God. Go and listen to each one of those songs. They are scriptures. They are scriptures. And you know who's the focus of the songs we sing in this place? Who's the focus? It's Jesus. Some focus in some churches is me. It's us. Go and listen to them. Listen to the lyrics. Oh, bless me, Lord. Oh, we are going to be kingdom makers, Lord. We are. What? what? You ain't nothing. No, no. Get the peace of God in your heart and sing about God and let the word of God dwell in you richly. You know why I love that word richly? Because it doesn't say poorly. <laughs> Duh, straightforward. You know what happens when it dwells in you richly? If something dwells in you richly, it will overflow you. It will just buy, it will come out, it will just come on. And, and you know how you can dwell in it richly is by opening it up and reading it. I love it. You see, this is what it gives practically to them. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then he ends this up, and this morning we end in it where he says, And everything, and everything, whatever you do, uh, Paul, doesn't matter whether you're there in the kitchen, you're putting together that cupboard there. It doesn't matter, Andre, when you are sitting there and you're working on that, uh, you know, that marketing material. And it doesn't matter, my brother in the IT, whatever you do, whatever you do, you, you build that, that canoe and, and you, know, you put the hammer in there. Whatever you do, it doesn't matter. Who have, who have I missed out? Who have I missed out? You know, whatever you do when you retire there, Oscar, whatever you do with the little babies when you play with them, you know, if, if Andre is there and, and you've got Blippi up there, is it? Yes. Oh, I love it because it covers everything. It encompasses every single thing here. What do you do whenever you do whatever you do to do this, that you do whatever you're going to do. Don't ask me to repeat that because I won't be able to. But this I know. He says, whatever you do in what? In word and in deed. And now he wraps it up for us. He says, remember when I told you to put things to death? This is covering that. When you put that off, this is covering up. And when you put it on, in word and in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love my work. Where I work right now in the office, I love it. I've got bad days and I've got good days and I've got sometimes worrying things that come I do. But you know, I walk in there with a smile every single day. People ask me sometimes and they say, geez, whenever you see you smile, you know why? I work for a company and I respect them. But I work for God. I work for God. When I sit down and I negotiate my contract, He's already negotiated on my behalf. What, what a pleasure to have the best negotiator sitting in your team. Hey, the rest is all already losing and they just don't know it yet. You just got to inform them. <laughs> you know, I've got to negotiate it. And, and he says, whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father by Him. Thank the Father. You work for him and if you conduct your life to him, listen, I'm not asking you this morning, I'm telling you that the peace of God will surpass all your understanding. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. 